Welcome to the Vespasian Warner Public Library District podcast. A few days after Christmas in 1895, Weldon, Illinois postmaster John A. Pace shot and killed state representative Dr. W.H. Taylor in the Weldon Post Office, bringing to an end a scandalous affair between the doctor and the postmaster's wife. It was a stunning conclusion to the turmoil that had arisen between the two men who'd once been friends. But John Pace's story of what happened that night in the post office and the conspiracy theories that surrounded it turned out to be even more shocking. John A. Pace was born in Greene County, Illinois in 1856 and moved with his family to DeWitt County in 1858, settling on a 120-acre farm two and a half miles outside of Weldon. After the death of his parents, Pace eventually took over the family farm. In 1886, he married Weldon schoolteacher Fanny Blake. The couple had two children— Lena and Willie, and eventually moved into town once he was appointed postmaster. John Pace was considered a friendly but not talkative man with an interest in politics. There he found a friendly rival in his friend, Dr. William H. Taylor. Taylor was a Republican and Pace a Democrat. Though both of the men were thought to be cunning and shrewd in politics, Taylor was considered the more jovial one. Born in 1846 in Stark County, Illinois, he was seven when his parents moved the family to Indiana, where he grew up. At the age of 16, Taylor enlisted in the Indiana Infantry, fighting in several battles in the Civil War, including Atlanta and Franklin, Tennessee, before being honorably discharged in 1865. Two years later, he married Roselia D. Beggs, the couple having five children, three of whom survived infancy. Elwin, Nellie, and Carl. The family eventually settled in Weldon, and Taylor completed medical school in 1883. In addition to his successful medical practice, he also owned a drugstore in Weldon. Politics were also an important part of his life. In addition to the number of local offices he'd held, he was eventually elected to the state legislature in 1894, and his term would have expired in January of 1897. However, accusations of an affair and the resulting ill feelings led to a premature ending of a promising political career, a friendship, and a life. John Pace first suspected that his wife Fanny had been unfaithful to him in November of 1889, only three years after their marriage. A Decatur paper had reported that Dr. W.H. Taylor and wife of Weldon were staying at the new Deming Hotel. However, at that time, it was well known that Mrs. Taylor was in Weldon, and Mrs. Pace was not. She was reportedly in Decatur. Dr. Taylor and Mrs. Pace had denied being at the hotel together, though it was alleged that Taylor later told a friend that he was at the hotel at the same time as Fanny Pace, and they made the entry in the register as a joke, each of them staying in separate rooms and nothing at all happening between them. Pace was eventually convinced that nothing had happened between Taylor and his wife, but that peace wouldn't last. A couple of years prior to the shooting, Pace's brother informed him that there was talk about the family physician doing more than just checkups with his wife. Pace said he warned Taylor to stay away from his wife and home after that. 
However, not long afterwards, he said he caught the two of them in the back room of the post office. He again warned Taylor to stay away from his wife. In July of 1894, Fanny Pace filed for divorce from her husband, citing brutality, but Pace claimed it was because he had charged her with being intimate with Taylor, and he had evidence. In addition to the word of his brother and his own incident at the post office, Pace had also obtained an affidavit from the clerk at the New Deming Hotel in Decatur who checked in Taylor and Mrs. Pace as the register had gone missing since then. He also had a letter his wife had written to her sister, stating that Dr. Taylor had performed one or two abortions for her. Mrs. Pace withdrew her divorce case once it was on the docket, but that did nothing for the marriage, as the couple remained separated. The animosity between the two men also increased, and as a result, Taylor reportedly began carrying a revolver, he said for Pace. When Pace learned of this, he bought his own revolver in November of 1895 for protection. Despite this, Pace chose to use his evidence to file charges against Taylor with the Knights of Pythias, of which both he and Taylor were members. He was also going to use it in a damages suit he planned to bring against Taylor for alienating his wife's affections. It would prove to be a fateful decision, as the charges, potential suit, and the existence of those papers proved worrisome for Taylor. On the night of December 28, 1895, Dr. Taylor decided to procure them. John Pace was working on the books at his office in the post office that evening, his four-year-old son Willie asleep in the adjacent west room that was used as a sleeping room. He heard someone enter that room and thought it was James Sexton, who'd been sleeping there. It wasn't. Pace was very surprised to see Dr. Taylor standing in the doorway to his office. Dr. Taylor wanted to talk about the trouble between them. Namely, he wanted Pace to drop the charges against him with the Knights of Pythias, not to go forward with the civil suit, and most importantly, Dr. Taylor wanted the incriminating papers. And he was willing to pay Pace $500 for it all. Pace refused and asked the doctor to leave, advancing toward him. Taylor then, according to Pace, pulled out a revolver and demanded the papers or he'd kill him. With no choice, Pace told Taylor the papers were in the safe and then made a show of searching for them. When he saw Taylor relax, lowering the revolver to his side, he then said that they must be in the desk drawer above the safe. He rifled through the desk drawer, keeping an eye on Taylor. When he once again let down his guard, Pace grabbed his own revolver and fired at him, catching him by surprise. According to Pace's story, Taylor stepped back at the first shot, possibly blinded by the gunpowder and smoke. Otherwise, Pace felt that Taylor would have been able to shoot back before Pace was able to fire his second shot. Taylor had backed into the sleeping room when Pace fired a second shot. He fired once more, and when he saw Taylor fall, he ran from the post office and across the street to Miles' drugstore, telling J.J. Miles what he had done. The Weldon Marshal soon arrived, and Mr. Pace immediately gave himself up. Sheriff Neal, Coroner Jones, and State's Attorney Fuller, among others, left Clinton immediately upon hearing of the shooting. Though the shooting occurred around 8 p.m., the officials didn't arrive in Weldon until after midnight due to bad roads. Not that the village was sleeping. It seemed every man was in the street discussing the shooting. Upon assessing the scene, and given the notoriety of both of the men involved, 
Coroner Jones immediately summoned a jury for an inquest, despite the late hour. At the inquest, John Pace told his story of what had happened in the post office that evening, that Taylor had come in, demanded the papers, and that Pace had shot him in self-defense. Other witnesses, including the Weldon Marshal, testified what they'd seen after the fact. Taylor was found lying on the floor in the sleeping room with his revolver under his right hand. One of the witnesses, Carl Swigart, said that he'd taken the gun from the dead man's hand, and another witness, J.D. Brown, corroborated his story. W.C. Perkins, John Fullerton, and Harry Swigert all testified that they'd heard that Taylor had carried a revolver for Pace and that they'd warned him. Swigert went so far as to say that it was Taylor's own daughter who had told him, and Isham Cornwell said that he'd once put his hand on Taylor's overcoat pocket and felt the revolver inside. Taylor's son, E.E. E. Taylor, claimed that his father's revolver was home, though he did carry it when he was out late at night. He said the evening of the shooting, his father said he was going out, and he seemed uneasy. Upon being recalled and questioned further, the younger Taylor admitted that he also had a revolver, but he didn't know where it was. He also mentioned that his father was afraid that Pace might lay an ambush for him. Dr. C.A. Stone, who examined Taylor's body, detailed his injuries, including a non-fatal wound to the side and a wound in the head, just above the right eye. He concluded that Taylor's head wound would have caused instant death. After hearing all of the evidence, the first coroner's jury couldn't reach an agreement on a verdict with the decision split between justifiable homicide and manslaughter. A second jury was then convened, and within half an hour of hearing the evidence, they returned with a verdict of justifiable homicide. But not everyone in the village felt that to be the correct verdict. Rumors and ill feelings abounded in the village, understandable given the prominence of the dead man and his killer. Both men had their supporters and their detractors. One such rumor stated that Taylor and Mrs. Pace had walked together in front of the post office the day of the shooting, pointing and laughing at Pace. However, the truth was that Mrs. Pace had not been seen in Weldon for at least a month. Another rumor suggested a third man had been in the post office. Still another stated that Pace and Taylor had talks prior to this trying to settle their trouble, when in truth the two men hadn't spoken in some time. Friends of both men also felt confident that neither would arrange a meeting with the other without both having a friend present. One of the worst rumors suggested that Pace had arranged for a meeting with Taylor and then drugged his little boy to prevent him from waking. This seemed to come from the fact that young Willie had a cold and Pace had bought a bottle of cough syrup for him only an hour before the shooting. Willie was also the center of the strongest conspiracy theory put forward by friends of Taylor. It was reported that the young boy had been asleep in the West Room during the confrontation, had woken briefly during the shooting, but had been later carried asleep to a hotel across the street from the post office. According to Mrs. Costley, the wife of the hotel owner, the young boy awoke around 2 a.m. and Mrs. Costley questioned him about what happened. According to her, Willie said that his father and Uncle Will, as Mrs. Pace had instructed the young boy to address Dr. Taylor, had been sitting together talking about his mother, that neither one of them looked or sounded angry, and that he'd fallen asleep listening to them. Mrs. Costley asked how Dr. Taylor had gotten in, and he told her that his father opened the door when Uncle Will knocked. 
Friends of Taylor seized on this sleepy statement. They pointed out that the door through which Taylor was supposed to have entered, the one that led into the West Room, had a spring lock on the inside. Those who had used that door stated they always had to knock to be allowed inside. However, Pace said that he left the door unlocked as he was expecting a friend who'd be sleeping in the West Room with him and his son. Clinton Mayor Henry McGill reportedly believed that Taylor was attempting to convince Mrs. Pace to go back to her husband at least until a few weeks prior to the murder as he claimed to have witnessed Mrs. Pace, Dr. Taylor, and Mr. Pace in conversation outside of the house in Clinton where Mrs. Pace had boarded. Mayor McGill had also put together the observations of others and was confident that Pace had invited Taylor to the post office on the evening of the shooting. It was also reported that the weapon found under Taylor's hand was not his, and that it was in fact so old and disused that it could not be fired. It was suggested that Pace planted the weapon on the dead man after he'd killed him. There was also speculation about Taylor's wounds. Dr. Wilcox believed that the shot to the head would have caused instant death, yet Pace said that Taylor backed out of the office and into the West Room when he was shot. Dr. Wilcox also pointed out that the powder burns to Taylor's eyes meant that the headshot would have been fired at very close range. However, Pace admitted that his first shot might have blinded Taylor, but he wasn't sure which of his three shots had hit him. One of his shots had passed through the brim of Dr. Taylor's hat. However, Mayor McGill later went on record denying that he'd ever had any such conversations with Dr. Taylor, nor did he support or advance the theory that Dr. Taylor had been set up to be murdered. Though John Pace did retain legal counsel, in the end, there was no trial. The grand jury, which convened in March of 1896, declined to indict him. Dr. W.H. Taylor was laid to rest in Woodlawn Cemetery in Clinton, his funeral attended by family, friends, and other members of the Illinois State Legislature. John A. Pace continued to live and work in Weldon, including working for a period as a special officer, and remained active in politics, attending the Democratic conventions. He passed away at the age of 80, following a stroke at his home in Henderson, Kentucky, in 1934. Thank you for joining us. For more information about the Vespasian Warner Public Library District, please go to vwarner.org.